Thank you for taking this time early in the morning to yeah. come here and do this podcast. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate it. And I really want to thank you for what you're doing for the club, for being the club's official, unofficial historian, mm. right? Mm. And you've been really going through the archives and everything and finding out things about the club that no one's ever known. That the people yeah. here have not known, the people yeah, present day don't. but it's so cyclical with the membership that even the people who do know, if they left and there's no record here, it's just a matter Isn't of trying to uncover the same stuff that people knew before and then getting it all together in one place. Yeah. And the fact that the club has moved four times, wait, one, two, three times, right? Yeah, geographically three times, but three then times on this space we've had three different buildings. Three different buildings on this So space. each time I'm sure that there was some stuff lost. But that's right, that's right. Well, let's yeah. start off with by telling me where you're from. I'm from, so born California, but when I was three, we moved to Michigan. So uh, I kind of grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is a second largest city in Michigan on the west side. So mm -hmm. it's kind of halfway between Detroit and Chicago, maybe a three hour drive on both sides. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, grew up there, only really lived in that one place. And then in 2016, then came to Japan. Okay, do you have siblings? I've got one younger brother, yeah. He's How many years different? About five years younger. Yeah. Okay. So he's doing well. He's uh, out in Nevada now, uh, Albuquerque, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So okay. He just moved recently. He's got a, you know, those um, like off the grid living right, right. situations. Really? Yeah, so he's getting all into that. And wait, 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 learning okay, about wait. That First of, of all, so. why'd you move? I mean, why'd you move from California to. So my dad was in the Air Force, actually, okay, so he was at Traverse Base in Fairfield, and mm -hmm. uh, I was born on the base there, and then uh, he just finished up his time and got a job as an electronics analyst in the weather service. Well, he didn't so finish up 20 years, he finished up like four years. Yeah, I think just the oh, just regular the like officer time. kind of thing, yeah. Oh, he was an officer? He was an officer, yep, and then so he, he more than six years. wrapped up, he did a quick like two years in Korea um, when he was younger, and he did a lot of just it's like a radio tower in the middle of, uh, I forget the name, it starts with a G, but there's a small province in like southern Korea. Okay. It's just this isolated radio tower he's working on there for a while and volunteering with the local orphanage. And um, So when I told him I was moving to Japan, he was really excited because for him that was some of his favorite years of his life was really? having that time outside of the States. How are your so. parents doing? They're good. Yeah, they're good. Mm -hmm. um, my dad's excited. He retires next month after about 35 years in the weather service, so. So how old is your father now? He's now born 65. Okay, so he's in his? He's in his kind of mid to late 50s. I was yeah. gonna say yes. Every time I go visit him, he's a little more gray. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's a where's, where's he now? He's doing where? They're in Grand Rapids now. Okay, yeah. okay. Yep, so he stayed in Michigan. Probably stay there. I, it's a really nice city. It's a great mm -hmm. city. If you don't mind the long winters, then like it's a really, really pretty place, nice people. It's one of those cities where it's big enough that you have all the options that you want, but mm -hmm. small enough where it still has that community feel. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like right there in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, it's got a very thriving craft beer scene now. So a lot of young millennials are, are moving in for 
stuff. So populations shooting up in the past couple of years, and um, yeah. So, so when you grew up there, I mean, what was it like for you growing up in Michigan? So you said you were born in California, but you moved there. What time, how old were you? I was you three years old. Oh, so, so you don't remember yeah. any of that. So, so all I, you know I is I Michigan. I feel like I'm a Michigander. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so was the line? It, it was good. I mean, it's. I've only ever been there, so it's kind of hard to, to compare growing up in other places. No, just tell me what, what was growing up for you like. For me, yeah, I went to um, I went to a charter school mm-hmm. from about first grade to eighth grade. So most of my like elementary, middle school years were at this one charter school with a class of about fifty five kids. Mm-hmm. So I grew up basically with these same fifty five kids for about eight Always years. Eight years. Yeah, and. Um, so are you still close? To, are you close with any of them? I'm still very close with uh, my my core group of friends, but I think everyone else still kind of keeps in touch because, you know, those names and those faces still stick with you so mm-hmm. strongly. Mm-hmm. So anyone at Cross Creek <laughs> Charter Academy, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then after that, I went to East Kentwood High School. So Kentwood is a suburb in Grand Rapids, and uh, they have one of the largest high schools in the state. And so it was from this class of 50, 50 to two. one of the biggest high schools in the state. So that Your was brother a, did the same thing? He did the same thing, yeah. Okay. Um, so it was a big transition, but I think it was really healthy because um, there were just so many students there that, and so many opportunities too. We had um, really great sports. Um, I was really involved in the music uh, programs there, so mm-hmm. I played tenor saxophone uh, all through high school. And wait, so wait, why didn't you tell me that? Wait, 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 <laughs> wait. You know uh, that's what I'm practicing. Yeah, yeah. well, we, we talked about it a little bit, I Yeah, think, but, but you, come on. All this time, I could have been having you in there every now and then giving me tips. I haven't played in a long time. It doesn't matter. The, the muscle played. memory is still there, I think. But It has to be. Yeah, so I did, I did marching band, jazz band, and <laughs> kind of the, the symphony for a little bit, too. So. What'd your brother do? He played, so he started playing alto, and he played a little bit of clarinet, and then he switched to baritone saxophone. So he, he had range, and he was a much better player than me, too. So when it came to jazz music, I could sight read mm-hmm. great, but that music theory improv. for soloing, for improv, I just, improv. it never clicked with me. So okay. he spent some time really sitting down and, and studying the chords and things and how that moves. So I think he was a much better player than me. Um, and then I, yeah, I, I really love jazz band. And then in my junior year in high school, I got first chair in our jazz band, okay. which is a is a, a state-renowned jazz band. And all of the previous first chairs all went on to be professional musicians, and they're all doing uh, like like commercials or they're playing with these like Mariah Carey backup bands and stuff. Okay. And so I come in and I I just all the pressure, the big shoes to fill. So I I. I lasted about a year and then I, I switched over to art and so I, I'd always been really involved in drawing a lot. I'd always felt like that's been kind of my natural calling. I love playing music, I love listening to music, but right, right. that kind of natural talent I felt like was more in drawing. So I switched over to a kind of college credit art class and was working on that stuff for a while. And I'd, I'd still like to play, yeah. But you want to think about it, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm getting to know you Drew because mm-hmm. I see you just a little bit every now and then mm-hmm. in the library. Mm-hmm. Your parents read to you a lot when you're a little kid, when you're small? Yeah, they, my dad was really great at teaching me to read. So he taught me to read really young. Um, and it was, I think, more out of a, an educational point of view. Like, r- it's really important to learn how to mm-hmm. read. And um, I think I was like four years old when I started to be able to make out different, different phonics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there was not so much of a culture in my house of like reading for pleasure. 
So that took a while to come to, to understand why it's important to read books mm -hmm. and to read literature, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, so I learned how to read. I could read really well. I had a decent vocabulary. I was always kind of okay at spelling. Um, but most of my kind of elementary to high school was just uh, being assigned books to read for homework right, and just kind of slogging through it. Doing so you never took it for pleasure? Time. You never took it as a pleasurable thing to do? Not until I really hit my last couple years in high school and in college mm -hmm. when I started mm -hmm. studying. Uh, I got my undergrad in philosophy and so I started to think about things a little differently um, and with the art background too. Then it kind of came to me in a roundabout way that okay. way. Okay. Um, and then I really fell in love with books and I had a part-time job in college at the local mm -hmm. library and um, that's where that kind of love for libraries and that career path kind of opened up to me. What did your mother do? What did your mother do? So she was, um, for a while, she worked in hotels at like a front desk kind of reception mm -hmm. um, and then she went to nursing school but she has always had chronic migraines. So growing up my entire life, it's always been maybe once a week or once every other week she's been down for two or three days mm -hmm. with um, you know, sunglasses on curtains drawn like very very painful migraines mm -hmm. um, Did she have light colored eyes by any chance uh, are they brown like yours I think they're brown okay. like me yeah um, I'm also I'm a, I'm a touch colorblind so I'm, all, I'm not so great with colors Does too, it but yeah uh, no but you, yeah, you're a touch colorblind <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a okay, okay. another fun thing about me. Yeah. And that's why you like art. <laughs> I like drawing. You know, black and white ink is great. Okay, okay. I, I've been trying to do a bit more with color lately, but uh, it, matching colors. I, I I can see colors, but I can't tell what they are. So when it comes right. to like matching the color to right. like the wood or something, that's right, that's right. hard for me to parse out. But um, so yeah, she she was involved in that. She went to nursing school, but when it came to doing her clinicals, it was really hard to be able to complete that. And uh, so she didn't finish up her nursing degree. And uh, for the most part, she's always just been kind of taking care of my brother and I mm -hmm. while my dad was working for the weather service. Mm -hmm. So um, she is now a loving dog mother. Okay. And she How keeps many in dogs do you have? Just, just one. Just one, just yeah. one? okay. Yeah, on a kind of Cocker Spaniel poodle mix. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Do you talk to your family often? I mean, like your brother and your mother and father? I try to, yeah. Um, I think with the pandemic, I think it's been more so. I think everybody's just <laughs> really kind so. of building that into their schedule, I think. Um, How are they yeah. doing, by the way? They're doing well. Yeah, no, uh, no coronavirus. They got both of their vaccines pretty early. Even um, your brother? Even my brother, yeah. Okay. Um, but for the most part, both of my parents, they, they often would stay home um, and just relax at home. So the pandemic wasn't a huge... Yeah, annoyance didn't change in their lifestyle way. so much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, shopping was a little more difficult, mm -hmm. but um, for the most part, yeah, they just yeah. always stayed home. So you didn't get involved in any kind of physical sports, basically. Physical sports, no, no. I was not an active person until about last year, and then I started to get very active recently. In what? In what? Um, I, I'm doing a lot of running now, so a lot of trail running. Okay. So kind of out in the mountains, running okay. these. Um, distances so next month I've got a hundred kilometer that I'm going for are you um, running with um, David I've done a couple times yeah with David and out, Antonio yeah. yep David and you Antonio. brought him out or he they brought you out uh, I brought David out one time um, <laughs> they usually do road running yeah. um, I know Antonio does some trail running mm -hmm. but um, I, I really 
have gotten to love the mountains here in Japan. Michigan mm -hmm. is completely flat, mm -hmm. so mountains were n never a thing for me growing mm -hmm. up. So I've really been coming to learn to love mountains here in Japan. Okay. So what got you? So you went to college. When you went to college, mm -hmm. you said you, your major, your major was psychology. Uh, philosophy. Philosophy. Mm -hmm. And you had one major. Or did you have more than one? Philosophy major and then an English literature minor. Okay. Yeah. Right. So which do you go towards more, right now? Because you, you're, you're uh, in your field. I mean, that's pretty rare. In a way, yeah. I mean, the philosophy degree, it's one thing that when you are a philosophy student, there's a lot of time spent trying to argue for the value of studying philosophy or studying the liberal arts in school, where um, as things become a bit more professionalized and with that fear of student debt there, you, for, for people choosing to go into college, you really have to make a careful decision mm -hmm. because you're going to get this debt and you need to provide for yourself and do you do something that's a little more skill-based that'll kind of put you in a pipeline towards a job or do you study something that you're very passionate about mm -hmm. um, and so philosophy was really great at giving you the bones for being good at kind of everything I think uh, you learn how to set up arguments you learn how to communicate clearly mm -hmm. you learn how to consider different viewpoints you learn about what's right and what's wrong and what it means to be a good person mm -hmm. and, and really, really what that means uh, in how you behave day to day. Um, like being a manager, I, I have really drawn a lot from that mm -hmm. philosophy study. Um, did, you, did, you, did you leave college having student debt? Yeah, yep. Okay. Um, but I went, to, uh, I went to a community college for two years and then a state university for my next two years. So mm -hmm. I did it kind of the, the the value way. The value way, okay. Yeah. So, you said, so you didn't come up with that. You didn't have so a tremendous amount. Compared to my peers, yeah. Compared to mm -hmm. my peers who have gone to like big universities. I think. So were you able to get work as soon as you finished college? I did, did yeah. So I, um, I got lucky in that I was working at my library already and um, I just kind of worked my way up over time in mm -hmm. the Grand Rapids Public Library downtown. And um, I was working in the reference and adult services section and transferred over to the, we've got like the fourth floor of the downtown building as our local history, archive, and genealogy floor. Mm -hmm. And so when I transferred into that, I really came to love that kind of research and, and that archiving skill um, was something that I felt like, I, I really love libraries, but I think this is something that I could do that but would just be helpful. The history part or the genealogy part? Oh, they, they often go together. Yeah. Know, both, both skills help the other, right, right, right. yeah. But you did. You were doing both. I was doing both. So um, okay. I brought I brought something. Um, okay. Well, this came out of some of my research there, but uh, this was a book was that was published. So this was picture. Okay. My interest in drawing and art and in comics, particularly, mm -hmm. I was interested in um, the history of cartoons in my city. If there were any interesting cartoonists, so I uncovered this woman named Gert Van Houten, who was this incredibly talented cartoonist from about a hundred years ago and she was doing these daily papers on the front page of my local paper every day, almost every day, right. about our city, our mm -hmm. local community. And mm -hmm. so, um, and she went on to do a, a lot of fashion illustrations, so really incredibly talented woman. And um, so I got interested in her comics, but in order to find out more about her life to do a biography, I had to do the genealogy side too. And I was able to find her ancestors and contact them in the, the city and they had a whole 
collection of her their grandmother's stuff in their basement that they lent out, including this picture of her in the back. And wow. they were so happy because someone finally found wait, out about wait, their you, grandmother. You, you produced this? Yeah. Oh, uh, a friend of mine published it. So but it's you're a, the one, all the information but I put, it it came to put it together. Yeah. So it was nice because she's See? an incredible woman, probably one of the earliest cartoonists in America in the history, I would think. Um, at least r recorded. There's not much research on early cartoons, but um, she was doing a lot of stuff for like raising war bonds during um, the war. She was mm -hmm. sent to DC to cover all the things going on there for World War One, mm -hmm. and uh, Grandpa's was very. Uh, Michigan has always been a very industrial, you know, part of that Rust Belt city. Mm -hmm. So she mm -hmm. covered a lot of um, like women going into the factories mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as the men were going off to war. And for World War One, yeah, so, so World War One, right, right, right. To the men of Michigan, so. She was really an incredibly talented person, so I was, I'm very proud of this project to mm -hmm. be able to celebrate her. And, and this was your first project? Yeah, that was one of the first First that things, you did? Yeah. This is beautiful. It is a nice thing to be able to do that. Have you done your genealogy? I have done mine, yeah, and the DNA research as well. Okay, so um, where's your family from? So my family, my dad's side, um, goes back to Virginia, Kentucky area for like 600 years, 400, okay. 500, a long time, long time Americans in that area, the Appalachia area. But they came from where? And they came from um, kind of Sussex area in England. Okay, in England, okay. And then before that, um, kind of around Flanders. So my last name, Damren, comes from a French, uh, like Damarine, I think. Okay. Uh, it, it's, it's changed a bit when they immigrated into the States, mm -hmm. but it's a French-Belgian last name. So that Flemish area, northern Belgium, is kind of where I've been able to trace as far back as I could go. But that's where the DNA stuff comes in, because right, then you're trying course, to connect course, the two course, things. So it um, comes from that, but then it's a part of this like R subclade who came from the Caucasus, the Yamnaya culture, this ancient pottery culture, and then back into uh, uh, the, the Fertile Crescent area, okay. and then back to Africa too, where the original you, human you, was. You've been, you've done, you've gone back that far. So in, with the DNA research, it'll tell it'll you, tell you exactly it's, which it kind of starts with the first human, human being, okay, and then you work your way right. forward, and then the genealogy you're trying to like Bingo. connect Bingo. the two trees, you know. So um, I, there's a gap still, but I think I've got both sides for the most part. What about on your mother's side? So my mother's side is um, her. <coughs> Her mother and uh, her, her mother's mother are French Canadian, okay. and um, they come from Montreal. Um, before that, from France, and then uh, her father's family is more um, like Swedish. Um, but her father and mother split. Her biological father uh, left the family when he, she was pretty young. So I really I don't know what he looks like. I'm not sure um, if he's still alive or not. I really don't know much about him at all. But. My DNA research showed, based on the breakdown of my ethnicity, that there was some Swedish in there. So I'm assuming it's from him because I know the other sources of the other parts of my tree. And it's definitely not from there, so it must have been from him. Have you gotten other people in your family involved so that they start to do, I mean, cover, yeah. you know, further, further away than your immediate family? Yeah. So that you can start to see how... Yeah, so there was, um, especially in the 70s and 80s, so... Americans really, really love genealogy. I think because especially the Mormons, especially the Mormons, and the Mormons have done some incredible I know they have. stuff. I know that they have. Family Search database is amazing yes, for free. Isn't it? it is isn't it? incredible isn't it? how much you can get from that. Um, but yeah, the the sealing ritual in the Mormon faith is, is interesting, um, and it requires yeah, what's the sealing. It's uh, something I've heard about it before. Where have you, you been through the lessons? 
the seven lessons the Mormons give for anyone who's thinking about No, I'm, I'm not of any faith, no. But, um, not. but, I, but I've been through their seven lessons. I haven't done the seven lessons, but <laughs> I, I know like in the library we would often get a lot of Mormons coming in, or, um, like LDS uh, folks, because right. the, the sealing ritual is kind of you are binding yourself to your ancestors. That's right. And in order to do that, you need to have like a record or some kind of document so that you can bind yourself to that mm -hmm. person. Um, and kind of like, I, I think it's to yeah. ensure that they are... Right, because you have to pray for them and continue, yeah. or so they can continue to ascend. I believe so, um, right. but you'd have to ask ask them to double check. But, um, so for, for Americans, they really, really love it. And so in, in the 70s and 80s, it was a really, really big hobby for a lot of mm -hmm. older people. Mm -hmm. When you're getting to a certain age, you're starting to think about your heritage and you want to get that stuff recorded down. Or... As an American, most people are immigrants, and so you want to know, like, who am I? Am I more German, or where did I come from in, in the Middle East, or something mm -hmm. like that? So um, Americans love doing this kind of stuff, whereas uh, in, in Japan, because I, I held a workshop here, and um, it's like, oh, Japanese, of course, the really question, why would you ask the question? Yeah. yeah. So. Um, <laughs> the, the databases and the research and stuff there is really great, and so you I, we would always encourage people, if you can, please talk to your grandparents, because probably they've already done most of the work for you. And so with my family tree, with reaching out to some of those extended relatives, I found that um, my father's mother's sister got really into it, and she did the whole thing all the way back, and this was like the old school genealogy before the internet, before those databases. And you had the tree, and you actually had Where she had to up. go right. to visit the different That's libraries, pull the books out, contact the county clerks in each different city, and then she made her way over to Europe and went through the church cemeteries, and like, that's hardcore genealogy. What about, what about the genealogy do you really enjoy? What, what makes you, I mean, what are you the happiest? Uh, I think it's, I think it's, it's interesting to know, hmm, that's a good question. I think there's an aspect of gratitude to it because I like to think about, you know, the reason why I'm here and to think about all those people before me and all the work that they had to do and, and what their lives must have been like and uh, I like I like feeling connected to a place too I think that's why I like a lot of the local history research and, and why I've done a lot of the research here for Tokyo is because I'm here and I really really love that ability when you're walking down the street and you can kind of see what was here before uh, I, I love that feeling. So to, to go through a place and to have the, this kind of magic history glasses that you can see over time what was where and, and what it used to look like. And um, oh, that's the reason why this building is here. Did you know that that's what this building was? And that kind of thing. So that's right, 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 right. I, I really like those layers. Do you ever have the feeling that you like knowing what you know most people don't know? <laughs> Yet they're moving around it all the yeah. time. I get. There's, there's an aspect of that, but I think as a librarian, naturally, you're just always learning stuff every day. That was one thing I liked about my reference job is um, we'd answer phones all the mm -hmm. time, and uh, before the internet, if you had a question, you would call the library, and that's um, right, right. You, know, you didn't just Google, like, what is this, you'd call the library. So we still have all those people still calling the library all the time, and so, you know, people asking, when's the best Does time? Is it that here, too? Here, no, because... Uh, right, right, right. Our library is never really known for reference. It was never really a reference place. We had encyclopedias a long time mm -hmm. ago, but everyone just kind of Googles now. But um, yeah, questions like, when's the best time to plant watermelons? Or what does this word mean? And you, you or, look that up and you like, just a moment, I'll find that information for you. And you pull out some books, do some research real quick. So how many years did you do that? Yeah. That was about two years. Two and years. it was two years in the archive. Okay. Um, and then here it's been about 
four years next week. Next week it'll be four years. Yeah. What brought you to Japan? I so I came to Japan originally um, with my ex-wife. We recently separated, but um, we both came here kind of on a. You know, we we both had grown up in Grand Rapids our whole lives. So she's not Japanese. She's not Japanese. No, um, she studied Japanese in school, and she had visited here and studied abroad. Uh, trip in college, and uh, we had our honeymoon here, and we really came to like Japan, and just thought before we get settled down in an area, we should try to live internationally if we can. And so um, we we came here. I got an English teaching visa, and I was working on my master's degree at the time for library science. So in the states, if you want to work full time as a librarian, to actually say that you are a librarian, you have to have that master's degree. Um, so the plan was come to Japan. Do this for a year, finish up my master's online, and then head back, and then look for a librarian job, and then um, just kind of stayed longer. And this position opened up, which was what I was looking for—some kind of full-time librarian position to do it in Tokyo in an English library. It was very lucky, just in the right place at the right time. So um, I did that, and just still been here. No kids? No kids. Okay. 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 Yep. Mm. I'm sorry to hear, but well, none of my kids didn't say I'm sorry. Because no, it's okay. Yeah, I think it was. It was Talking, yeah. but I think it's the right decision for both of us. So, yeah. right. so what are you doing? What are you? What are you? What are your plans for the future? Are you doing this here? I mean, I'm not sure. I think a part of me still is pulled towards archives, especially since my master's degree, my specialization was in archives. So I think a part of me is still really interested in that kind of work full time. Um, but I do like. Leading a library as well, so I've been really enjoying this job. I'm not sure um, about the future, really. We'll, we'll see. You've been here. Only, you've been in Japan only four years. Five years. So five years. yeah, one year teaching English, four years here at the library. Right. Um, yeah. So a part of me has been kind of toying with the idea of going back to the states, maybe working in a larger city um, archive or maybe a university archive, depending on the the collection. Um, yeah, part yeah, of me wants to see here because this is your baby now. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the the anniversary coming up, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see this project through, or at least get it in a good shape, um, because it, it's been so sprinkled throughout the club for so long. At least to get it all together and packaged well, so that I'm comfortable handing it off to the next person, at least something like that. Mm -hmm. too, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not sure. Well, how long do you think that would take? Oh, it's a never-ending project. Yeah, you always sure. find new stuff all the time. But I, uh, it, I've got a rough index now of the things. Um, the inventory is put together. It's it's boxed and folded now, which is more comfortable. Um, but with the plans for the immediate future, I know that we're working on a gallery exhibition downstairs, possibly next year, to do a whole history of the club. And it's going to be in the Fred Harris? In the Fred yeah. Harris Gallery downstairs. Oh, be beautiful. So um, we're hoping to put that together. So I'm working with the CCC group right now. We've identified which items. Mm -hmm. um, and we contacted a couple of different universities up in Tohoku about the uh, former daimyo that used to live on this property, and so um, we've got the different panels put together. We just have to line it up and get the statements put together, and then pass it on the comp to design the panels. So it's it's getting there, and then that'll work as kind of the bones of a history book to come out later, uh, hopefully by the hundred year anniversary. But wow, yeah. I really like this. I really like doing this. That's fantastic. I I think it's important. Yeah. Just to you know. <laughs> Hundred years is a long time. You know, that's quite an accomplishment. And a short time. Short time too. Yeah. Short time and a long time. Something that's to right. celebrate. Because so many of us 
are making it to 100 now. Mm. So many people aren't getting there. My mother's 90, turned 93 this year, mm. and in good health, and mm. still driving, which I ask her, please stop doing it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just, um, what would you like to, what would you like to leave this way? Um, I think just with, with story, with, with history, with books, with stories, something over time that I've, I've come to learn is if you, I think, I think it gets back to your question about why I enjoy doing this stuff, is I think it's important to, if you want to be a better person, if you want to be a kinder person, if you want to be a more interesting person, then you need to expose yourself to stories, and you need to read all sorts of different books, not just the same kind of stuff, you need to talk with all sorts of different people, you need to... You know, just like the a healthy diet of food, like you need to make sure that you're giving yourself that nourishment. Mm -hmm. um, and a part of that interest in archiving and doing that history research is to make sure that those other stories aren't forgotten, just to make sure that those are still there too, to help you understand your choices, where you're at now, why we're here, why things are like this, um, all those kinds of things. So I think it's it's really important to. Yeah. Sure before before I close, things, before yeah. I stop this, you find yourself being pretty neutral on most um, subjects or most issues, or do you try to like politically? Anyway, anyway, do you try to stay neutral so that you can absorb more? Or do you? Because I'm, I'm getting that kind of feeling. Like you, mm. you might have an opinion, but you won't express it readily because you wanna, you don't wanna stop someone from giving you more information. I think that. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to have more information, and I think if you immediately close yourself off to sources of information, then I think that that's not healthy. I think it's good to expose yourself within reason. I think that there's definitely times when you need times to. when you need to exercise some judgment. Um, but I think that personally, I'm definitely a lot more liberal, maybe further left of liberal. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the library in itself is kind of a, a socialist organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, we pay taxes to support a library. If libraries didn't exist and we were to propose the idea of a library, I'm not sure if it would be passed <laughs> by the community now, you know, the, the idea of what the library is, you know. Um, so, and, and I think it's it's very critical now, too. It's one of the the last free places in a city that you can go to just to, to be and to learn more and where you're not expected to spend money or sign up for anything. You just, it, it's a very neutral place and it's very important to collect all those things and make them available too. So I think um, you know, that knowledge is power, exposing yourself to all of the stories, it's very, very important. But I think also you need to think about um, you know, doing the right thing and what it is to be a good person and how do you care and really empathize with other people and what does that look like in day-to-day -day work. And, um, well, how does it look to you? I think that, I mean, one is uh, listening and patience and those kind of just basic, you know, niceties is, is important. Mm -hmm. um, working in the library, yeah, the, it is important to stay neutral, I think, mm -hmm. as, especially if you're in a supervisory position, because libraries are in a precarious state right now. When that, was, funding. that was something I was going to ask about, too. Yeah. What is the state of libraries globally? So right now, uh, I, they're, they're growing, and the internet has made access to a lot of things um, much better. And the pandemic, in a, in a way, has, has been very helpful for libraries. So actually, our circulation statistics has been up by 10 or 15%. Just here in the club? Just here at my library, yeah. Okay. Um, so people are reading much more, and the kids have been plowing through books like crazy lately. So, um, which makes sense if you're stuck at home and you need to mm -hmm. stay home, then 
So, 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 so actually libraries are doing really good now. So libraries are doing well, but libraries have always been very, very good at serving their community and being adaptable and changing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, before it was, before the internet, you had all of the resources that you needed there. So if you had a question, you would go to the library and you'd be able to figure mm -hmm. it out. That was the, the mm -hmm. place to access that knowledge. Whereas now, you don't necessarily have to go to the library or, or call them to, to figure it out. So really, they kind of pivoted over to this concept where now it's not so much about the books in the library, it's this community space with those resources that you need there. Mm -hmm. If you need a meeting room, if you need a place for um, a speaking event, or if you need a, a workshop space, or if you need to do some kind of event with children, or a volunteer drive, or um, if you, I mean, some libraries are getting really creative, they're uh, circulating like uh, suits and ties for interviews. So maybe if you cannot afford a suit for an interview, you can go into New York Public Library, you can check out a suit Is and really? a tie, and go to your job interview, and then bring it back when you're done. Um, circulating fishing poles. One library circulates cake pans. So instead of having a bunch of cake pans in your I've kitchen, I've never heard that. So it's 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 this concept now of what do you need and how can I help you get that? Is it the space? I can get you the space. Is it just quick answers or research? Do you need help finding your like finding your your local representatives? Do you need help trying to figure out which tax forms you can put together? Like I'm not a lawyer, but I can help you. I can point you to the right direction at least. Um, you need help just getting your resume together, or you need help learning how to use a computer. A lot of people don't know. Um, with the virus, I know for a lot of libraries in the States especially, a lot of people have been furloughed or they've lost their jobs mm -hmm. and they're needing to find something else. And a lot of librarians are really helping them navigate whether it's getting on unemployment or looking for a new job or something like that. So libraries have always been, you know, it's, it's not about the books. The, the books are definitely key. They're very important. Books have been here for a long time. It's not gonna go digital or turn into eBooks or anything. Like, now it's, it's something like seventy-five percent of people still prefer physical books. Yes. Um, yes. Ebooks, it's a great supplement. Audiobooks, it's a great for for people who prefer yeah. audiobooks. Definitely make sure it's available. But but that's the purpose is to make that stuff available to make those right, resources right, right, available. Right. So it's always been about what does my community need? How can I help them get that? Mm -hmm. and, and same here at the club too. It's a little different mm -hmm. being within a private club. It's an interesting uh, kind of library to run. There's not many libraries like this that are kind of a private library in a way. And it's a general library, basically. It's mm -hmm. not any any particular genre. I mean, it's mm -hmm. general. And you just added something to it. You showed me the other day. This on online, actually. You said you had a physicist come. She signed your book. Oh, the and Tech Talks, too. The Tech yeah. Talks, too. So I was really said, yeah, happy with that. So that yeah. was an effort of um, putting together a, a club speaker series. So... Before in the past, the library was doing more book-related talks, mm -hmm. um, and then other committees were doing their own speaker series events right. too. Right. And um, it just came to a head in a way where um, you could look at the immediate calendar, the immediate months coming up, but you didn't know what everyone was looking at further out in advance or commitments mm -hmm. that they were making then. So there, there were times where there would be two interesting awesome events, but they'd be in the same week. <laughs> right, and right, the members right. have to choose between two really great events. So um, it would, in effect, kind of split the audience, the potential audience. Mm -hmm. And this is just an effort of trying to get everybody to work together. Um, everybody knows fascinating people here at the club. And so why not try to pull all those resources together, line it up in a really nice, orderly schedule, mm -hmm. um, offer a season pass, if we can. So now we've got a season pass option for the fall season. 
So uh, for the price of three, you can attend all six events if you'd like as a kind of. And you also have them recorded, so that and we have recorded too. Yep. Right. yep. And that's free then, isn't it? That's free. Yep. Right. So that's been helpful too to have that archive. We can. Uh, send that link to other potential speakers and just say this is what Since it looks like. Doing, right? so if you're interested, this is kind of, you can get a vibe from that. So you can similar to like, it's our own, instead of TED Talks, they're TAC Talks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been growing, it's been great. We're, we're trying to look for sponsors now to sponsor the series so that we can get a little more money for speaker fees. No, how does that work? So we're working with our club sponsorship coordinator now. Um, but the idea is we have the guest studios, we've got some amazing restaurants, we've got a really interesting facility. We could potentially fly people in and have them stay here, speak to a sold out ballroom, and then feed them in the restaurant, maybe have a VIP thing afterwards too. So So what's a sold out ballroom? How many people is that? Uh, because right now with COVID, with COVID it's, now, it's, it's yeah. half of what it would have been. It's about before. 80, 90 now with the social distancing. Is that what we, we're still doing that? Even if most people have been in with social distancing, yeah, so the policy is okay, still in place. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, if we can, most we can do is 90 people. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a sit down. It's going to be a sit down with that, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I think full capacity, it's something like 300 or so. Or more, standing at 500. Yeah. Yes, we can do that. Um, so, that's kind of the, lo the long game that we're playing with this is ideally we can get a sponsor that's working together with us really well, and maybe this is something that people want to join the club because they get access to all these interesting people that's coming right, in from right. Tokyo. And there's no reason why we couldn't do that. No. And generally, how long would they stay? Okay, they'd be flown over. Mm -hmm. Depending mm -hmm. on how famous they are, mm -hmm. depends on what class they come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. they'd come over, mm -hmm. and they stay for how long? Maybe a week? Could be a week. So it could also be, um, maybe we're working with other institutions too, so this is something that the international yeah, schools do, exactly. is they'll bring a kid's book author in, and, then and they'll tour all the schools, and then they'll hit us along the way. Exactly. So if I can also expand that we pay, we pay a little something to have them come. Yeah, so they could be split amongst the institutions oh, too. So, right. so it takes some work to kind of get it all together to get the infrastructure. So that's that's kind of where we're at now is we're, we're just building the brand. It's just becoming known. Mm -hmm. uh, the members now are starting to understand what the TAC Talk is. We're, we're getting to the next step now. Um, we just need a healthy turnout to attract the sponsor. How long have we had it? So how long has it been? It's been about a year now. A year. So first one was last. September and we had a coronavirus panel with some medical professionals in the community to come and talk about it. Um, but we've had ultra runners, we've had astrophysicists, right. we've had uh, one of the world's leading scholars of Japanese swords come in and he brought some swords in. Didn't we have an astronaut once? We haven't no, had it yet. That wasn't, that wasn't for the tech. But maybe February we may have an astronaut That's right. yeah, next year. Wow. So. Um, yeah, all sorts of interesting journalists coming through. So th there's a lot of really amazing, interesting people mm -hmm. in this area. Mm -hmm. well, just trying to grow that network and get in touch and always looking for recommendations too. So. Drew, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks. This has been a pleasure. I want to thank all of you for watching this. Make sure that you press like, subscribe, and never forget, it's all known. Continue to reach for the stars and you're too blessed to be stressed.